episode 416. This is Clatu, and we're going to talk about Git text and other components of a Linux system. Yes, this is um, this is what we're doing lately. We've been going through every single package installed on Slackware Linux, but of course, because it's open source, it probably applies to your system as well. Everything you hear about on this show is quite probably available for your operating system, whether it's Linux, BSD, even Mac or Windows can probably find this stuff. Well, definitely you can find Git text. So first, before we get into Git text, actually we're not going to talk about Git text. Sorry, we're going to talk about Git text tools. That that there is a difference. This package is Git text tools, not just Git text. So before we get into that, let's talk about DeepGeek. DeepGeek has been experimenting around with immutable Debian, which doesn't exist, but he's trying to make it exist. And here's what he says. Wanted to send you a note to say that I've been experimenting with the concepts of an immutable OS under Debian. Interestingly enough, things are working, but the old geek nerd joke in theory, theory and practice are the same, still applies. The first thing I did was create a Cheroot environment that ran Firefox. The Chroot management program, schroot, is invaluable as it installs an infrastructure to run housekeeping scripts automatically. This is necessary as some facilities are created in the device hierarchy and thus are not present in the Chroot environment. For example, Firefox wants to use something called Linux shared memory, which needs to access slash dev slash shim, or shm, to do so. schroot allows you to remount slash dev slash shm into the proper place within the Cheroot environment, thus allowing the program to run. schroot defaults to remounting the user's home directory into the Cheroot environment, something I was looking to prevent. I prefer to bookmark the Cheroot environment in my file manager to quick uh, for, for quick access to files in there. Using the fully featured ZFS file system to manage the Cheroot environments is a dream come true. By keeping many snapshots during the process of building Chroot envir- a, a Chroot environment, you can undo anything by issuing a rollback command to the file manager. Creating new Chroot environments is simply a matter of cloning a snapshot and takes the blink of an eye. All the while, ZFS replaces duplicate files with pointers under the hood so as not to waste disk space. Installing software is a matter of going into an environment as root and issuing install commands. Then, back in the main system, you copy the free desktop application file and icon from the Chroot environment into your local environment, in your home directory, that is, tilde slash dot local slash share slash applications, or and uh, tilde dot local slash share slash icons, respectively. Modify the exec command to a schroot command that runs the command in the Chroot environment for you, and you're off. I use app image launcher to detect the installation of app images and automatic, automatically add them to my personal menu. There is not a hit on performance that I can see, and shortly in the future I plan to run both the Firefox LTS that Debian Security maintains, as well as the official Firefox Snap in, in, in the latest official release from Mozilla. He goes on. I installed new my new Linux system in a new partition and used a program called Grub Customizer to name one New Linux and Old Linux. I did this to emulate the feature I read about in Silverblue where there is a Grub entry for each Silverblue release, so you could go back 
if the latest and greatest just didn't work. Once I got ZFS up and running in the new system, I was floored to simply have a copy, to, to, to simply have to copy a few config files to my SCHROOT boot, uh, to, to, to have SCHROOT boot my Firefox CHROOT, <laughs> which was present in the right place at my file, uh, on my file system. I then realized that in the future, all my data sets that are really CHROOT environments can be offloaded to a backup disk at, at, at end of life, and that I could go back and get into them whenever I needed to in the future. This is very exciting. What doesn't work? Anything that needs special libraries. Here's the example I found. Let's say you have an NVIDIA card that needs its proprietary drivers. You could remount the immutable system slash lib in your CHROOT environment, but then updating the CHROOT environment software without potentially overwriting the main system slash lib hierarchy is problematic. So I do all the multimedia stuff in the main system. However, here's another rub. Let's say you want to have a programming or development environment in a Chroot environment. Fine, as long as you don't need to use those drivers. If you want to do GPU programming to run some really fast math in those GPU processing cores, the Chroot option is out for you. So now I have the main system and two Chroot environments and my uh, old traditional system. I quickly fell into this routine. I update my main immutable system on the 1st, I update my Chroots and app images on the 10th, and I update my old system on the 20th of, of the month. This leaves me a rotating option of always having a way out if an update breaks a package for me. I'm glad I'm doing this as it has opened up two new worlds for me. First, being able to run all my favorite Debian supplied software while being able to co-install a new world of alien distro and third-party software. Secondly, a new level of stability that comes from being in even tighter control of updates than ever. Being able to go back if anything breaks, or even if some beloved piece of software gets discontinued by its developers' cheers. It is amazing. This is absolutely, this is Klaatu again. That's amazing. Um, it, 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 so many thoughts and ideas come from this experiment. Um, first of all, how cool is it? I'm going to forget half of my thoughts. But anyway, first of all, how cool is it that 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 this that he was inspired to do this? I mean, this is what open source is all about, right? I mean, some people at Fedora decided to do some weird immutable OS thing, and they're doing it in a very specific way for whatever purposes they're doing it. I, I'm not entirely sure what those purposes are. It doesn't doesn't matter, right? They, they, they're doing it because they can. And then Deep Geek decides that might be, that, that's an idea for Debian. And so he takes his Debian install and transforms it into this sort of, the, you know, he takes, he takes the idea and spins it into something different. Because he's not doing what Fedora is doing. Like, he is implementing this differently. But just as I said in the episode where I was talking about sort of the history of containers and so on. He's doing it in a in a in a predecessor in the way of a predecessor, you know, he's doing it with Chirut. So, in a way, he's doing it he's almost reimagining Fedora Silverblue if it had happened 10 years earlier, kind of. Um so that's really cool. It's just neat to see inspiration have a ripple on effect that way. And as predicted, I've forgotten the other the other thoughts that this made me think about. But here's here's one thing that I do kind of wonder about this, and I'll have to ask Deep Geek for more information, but how much of this, how much from the Chroot is he benefiting from, 
And how much is it just ZFS being ZFS? I can't quite extricate from his email here where the advantage of having it in a cheroot ends and the advantage of having all of this managed by ZFS begins. And so I'm just kind of wondering what the what the advantages are. And maybe that's something that I could... I mean, I, I would think that the, the advantage of the cheroot would be exactly what he said right here, where he says, at some point, I hope to run Firefox long-term support that Debian Security maintains and the latest you know, nightly build or whatever. No, the latest official release, he says, from Mozilla. So that to me would be, that would be the obvious use case for a cheroot. Like I want to have separate, I want to have applications kept separate from one another and they're the same applications. So how do I do that? Well, cheroot sounds like a great option for that. But um, all the other stuff that he's talking about, like grub entries to go back to other versions and um, all this other stuff where he's talking about Remount? No, not remounting. Um, yeah, you mentioned some other stuff about versioning and kind of backups and stuff like that. I just, I wonder if that's, I mean, isn't that just ZFS? So, and and maybe the two don't need to be separated. Maybe maybe his point is that ZFS plus Chiroot, you know, in many ways approximates um, Silver Blue's immutable image plus Podman plus whatever container engine they're actually running underneath. Rocket, maybe? RKT? Cryo? I don't know what they're running. I, I forgot to look. Either way, this is a very cool experiment. It's amazing that it's actually sort of like working in a in a reasonable way. Oh, I remember it. So that was actually all of my my thoughts are coming back to me. Um, now, what's really interesting to this to, about this to me in a sort of a personal personal level is that, I, I mean, I could almost, jeez, I wonder if I could even just, can I literally, probably not. Anyway, there was an, there is an email somewhere out there from like 2009, um, probably, 2010, you know, where I am chatting with DeepGeek about this idea of having, yeah, like an immutable sort of image of your OS and then something else running on top of it. I don't remember why, what my interest on that was at, at the time, but I remember at the time, like, again, this is a long time ago, like 2010 or 2011 or something, I was saying to him that, or, or rather, I was, I was watching, you know, much of the world get very excited about virtual machines, and for some reason, and I don't exactly remember what it was, but for some reason I thought, well, I have no use for, for that the virtual machine thing, but wouldn't it be interesting if if you could have like just kind of the thing that drives your your laptop or your computer, but at the time I had a laptop only, the thing that drives the laptop and then sort of all of the stuff that you add to it would be very, very separate, like in a very, almost a physical way, just like very separate from that. And I again, I don't exactly remember like why, I, I do remember back back then it used to be sort of a um, an interesting thought exercise for me. I used to be very interested in like what would it take to have an OS where 
at any moment, you could just say, okay, I want to start back from a clean slate and really feel like it was a clean slate, you know? Sort of, I wanted that, I guess, the secure feeling that an immutable OS brings you, which I don't even know if today I can fully put that into words. Like, why does that matter? <laughs> like, who cares? It does not matter. But, at the, you know, for, for, I maybe because I came from a proprietary OS... And back in, you know, 2010, 2011, whatever, I would have only been, I would have only have been using Linux for a mere, I don't know, three or four years or whatever. So eight, nine, 10, 11, yeah, maybe three, you know, three or four years. Yeah, three or four years. And and on a proprietary OS, you know, the, the, the cleanup process is a lot messier. Um, and especially if you don't really understand how these things work anyway, then you don't understand that there's a sep there. Well, in theory, there's a separation between your user data and the actual OS, um, but that's not really super well sort of explained. So I don't know. I'm just wondering if there's a if there was something something influencing that sort of fascination for me. But either way, whatever caused it, I remember talking to Deep Geek about this concept and asking him about it, and he he had some ideas, and I never got around to really playing around with any of those ideas. But I feel like in a really, really weird way, 10 years later or whatever it is, uh, we, we've kind of circled back around to that. I don't even know if he remembers this, but I do. And and in a weird way, we've circled around to this again with with really like implementable solutions. Like, here's exactly how that would work. Like, here's the immutable OS. Here's where you can install stuff and have it separate from your system for whatever reason like whatever reason that might be and he he has a several good reasons here you know either either it's because you might want to run two different versions of the same application or because there's some kind of application that's been abandoned or 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 whatever and you need to put it into an a known environment well there you go that's how you do that so um yeah really really cool very just very exciting and i think um i think that the experiments that he's done uh are frankly unbelievable just they're they're staggering they're they're mind blowing and uh when he when he emailed me maybe you know 3 months ago or whatever whenever i did the first silver blue episode and and said gee i wonder how this would work on debian Last thing in the world I imagined to get from him via email was that he has done it, that it's it's been implemented, and uh, hey, it's going pretty well. So that's just amazing. On to the next email. This one is from Kevin, friend of the show. You've probably heard this name mentioned before. Actually, maybe I haven't said his name. I mean, I know I've said his name once or twice, but early on I wasn't clear on whether I was supposed to say his name, so I never said his name. But now I can say it. He's given me permission. It's, it's Kevin. It's Kevin. Uh, Kevin has released AOS 3.1, uh, which he also says is technically uh, 46 beta. AOS is a really cool little project. It is, I'm going to call it, for lack of a better term maybe, slack, uh, a Slackware spin. By which I mean it's Slackware with uh, packages pulled as required from Slackware repositories and Slack build and anything that Slack PKG Plus supports, and it installs a base desktop similar to what you'd expect on any OS, with just enough tools to manage your system, play your music, your videos, manage fonts and partitions, 
uh, graphically, gives you a default browser, and I think that's about it. And then after uh, installation, you um, you know you log in as root, you set up a password, and um, use a web-driven application to set up your system. So it's it is designed to be Slackware really for just a regular user, if we could say that. I mean, I know that one might want to say, well, Slackware is for a regular user. Like, anybody can use Slackware. And it's true. Anybody can. And I, I encourage anybody to use Slackware. But you know the situation. You know, when you've got someone and you're like, look, you're interested in Linux and you want to try something, but I got to be honest with you, the, the system I know best is Slackware. So here's um here's Slackware on a disk. Best of luck. I mean, that's kind of crazy. So it is nice. I, and I'm speaking from experience here to have like a system that's a little bit easier to s- just kind of slide right into. Slackware sometimes th- there is a learning curve. Not sometimes there is a learning curve to Slackware. It boots to a, a text prompt, and and you have to set things up. It 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 can be a little bit of a learning curve. Something that gives you a bunch of of sort of safe defaults from the start is really nice. I used to really enjoy Zenwalk or Salix OS. I still enjoy Porteous. And you know, I haven't checked in with really Zenwalk or Salix lately. I'm assuming they're doing fine. But AOS is a really nice um, project sort of, you know, in that in that direction. Like it it's a contribution towards that same kind of experience. Um, so if you're interested in that sort of thing, try it out. Just look up AOS. Sor- Actually, you don't have to look it up. Just go to sourceforge.net slash projects slash allegiance OS. A-L-L-E-G-I-A-N-C-E-O-S. Allegiance OS. 3.1, that's the latest and greatest as of this recording, like right now, which is uh, July 6th is when I'm recording this. It's uh, a relatively small download, too. It's like only one gig, so that's a lot smaller than the default Slackware download, which is another nice kind of bonus here, that, that there's such a limited scope that uh, you, you, you'd you have to actually install or download less, which is, is quite nice. I mean, sometimes. I mean, it depends on your... If you don't care about bandwidth and disk space, then I guess it doesn't really matter. Um, but that's a, it's a good one. You should check it out. Take a look at it. And right now it is based on um, sort of a, you know, some kind of unholy um, amalgamation of 14.2 plus current. So that's where we are in Slackware land right now. There's really no way around that. And I kind of address that on occasion here because I'm stepping through Slackware, but I mean, I'm stepping through 14.2 packages, just kind of knowing that 15 is around the corner and and agreeing mutually with you, dear listener, that 14.2 and 15 aren't really going to be that different. So if we miss a package here or there or cover a package that gets dropped from 15, it doesn't matter that much. It's it's all it's all it's all OK. Um, yeah. So AOS, it's a good one. Allegiance OS. And then, um, yeah, it looks like I don't know. From a, a cursory look through the internet, it looks like Zenwalk and Salix OS are still are still things that happen. So that's kind of cool. It's kind of neat. I should check them out sometime. Maybe I will after 15.0 comes out and everyone's rebased. <laughs> so that's everything. So let's talk about Git Text Tools. Wait, should we? Should we talk about Git Text Tools or should we take a coffee break? Let's take a quick coffee break. 
Let's do that, and then we'll come back and talk about Git Text Tools. Sound like a plan? So uh, Git Text Tools is a support package for a, another package called Git Text. Git Text Tools is useful for authors and maintainers of internationalized software or for anyone compiling programs that use the Git Text functions. This package provides the needed tools and library functions for the handling of messages in different languages. Some other GNU packages use the Git text program included in this package to internationalize the messages given by shell scripts. It's been ages since I talked about Git text. So far, I, I can't even find it in my show notes. That would have been like pre-2018. Like literally, I have instances in show notes on the, on the webpage, gnuworldorder.info, back to January of 2018, and I was talking about Adder and GNU Core Utils and Gawk, InitTab, Getty, a Getty, things like that. But no Git text. I don't see Git text anywhere. Maybe that would have been around the time of Git text, but I, I can't find that specifically in the show notes. So I don't even know what episode to refer you to. It's possible that I kind of skimmed over Git text. I don't I don't remember that far back how sort of how 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 specific I was being. Like sometimes I feel like I just kind of quickly sort of summarized things, which I I still do, but but I, I, yeah, I mean I don't remember get, talking about Git text in other words. And so I kind of feel like possibly I kind of briefly mentioned its purpose and then moved on. Which, to some degree, I guess I'll probably do with these some of these text Git text tools. I haven't necessarily used them at any great length myself, and so the useful things that I can say about it are limited. But we might as well start from... I was just about let's start from the beginning, and now I'm not so sure because I realize some of these tools, out of context, are, are a little bit difficult to explain, or possibly not useful to explain. So let's not start from the beginning. Let's start from a point of figuring out how to use Git text. This is Git text like a lot of sort of GCC and G++ and GDB. A, a lot of the default documentation you're going to run across for this stuff assumes that you're writing in C, and I write nothing in C. Even when I'm doing something C-like, it's it's C++. It's not C. So that's a little bit, um, I, I feel like it's a little bit of an overkill, to be honest, is what I, is how I feel about it. Because I feel like learning to do it the, the way that it's documented, if you're not, if, if you're not writing C, then that doesn't really help much at all. Now, luckily, I do write shell scripts quite a lot, and, uh, Git text does support shell scripts, not necessarily in the in an overt way. They they sort of casually mention it here and there in the documentation, but they really, from what I can tell, they they focus on C. But you can get there in the end. You can get to to where you need to be. Now, a lot of these tools make some of these steps that I'll go over initially automated, so that you don't have to do them as as manually as I'm going to do 
right now. So the first thing I'm going to do is find a script that requires translation. And I might as well use the one of probably the favorite, my the, the thing that I use all the time that I've written, my favorite thing that I've ever written, I think, is Trashy. It's, I mean, you may have heard me mention it before, it is a trash command for your terminal. So you don't use rm, because rm is irrecoverable. Trash, however, or trashy, sends a file to your freedesktop.org trash can, and then you can restore it later on. It's a very useful command. I highly recommend it. If you don't use it, then use some other trash command. I think there's one other out, one, one other one out there for a terminal. I think it's written in Python. It's well worth looking into. Use it instead of rm. Anyway, stop me before I get too far down that path. I'm just urging you to use trash. But trashy is not translated into lots of different languages, so it does need to get translated at some point. And the way that I would do that is I would open up trashy, which is in bin trashy, and I would scroll to the bottom of the little license header, and then I would add these three lines. Export text domain, all capitals, equals trashy. Export text domain dir, again, all, uh, all uh, capitalized, equals slash user share locale. And I know that it's user share locale because I can look in user share and discover that there is indeed a locale directory. Now, don't, don't think, d d I mean, I don't know for sure that that's the case on every system. I don't think that it changes, but just be aware that it could be, for instance, in like user local share locale. There may be one in, in that location. So it just depends on how you set up your system. But um, on Slackware, the default location for this directory is user share locale, and then the final line of this little incantation to get to get git text working with my script is dot space git text dot sh and you might think well where where is git text dot h where where does that exist uh, it's in user bin believe it or not user looking slash user slash bin slash git text dot sh it's there, so all we're doing is kind of bringing it into trashy. Okay, so I think think that's all I need to do for that. Well, not technically, so I might as well leave that open for a moment. So text domain is a variable that get text wants to see, and it wants to see sort of the the namespace of what it's dealing with, and so we're calling that namespace trashy. Text domain dir contains the path to your localization directory. Now this get text.sh script that we're importing into Trashy, it's going to, we can use it to echo strings to sort of intercede for us when we're echoing strings to our user. So for instance, currently if you execute the command trash and you have nothing in your trash can in your system trash you get the message you have no files in trash so i'm going to do a search for you have no here we are so on line 43 of this script well it's 43 now because i in inserted those those lines at the top of my script i've got echo you have no files in trash and that's a condition if the the if if the if a check if the check for emptiness uh, returns true, um, well, it's, it, te technically it's it's actually if if a check 
returns nothing, then it echoes, you have no files in trash. That's close to what we need, but it's a little bit different. And see, this is, is this, there's a similar mechanism that you would use. You would define uh, macros and things like that within your code. Um, in, in, in bash, instead of saying echo, you have no files in trash, I'm going to do echo, dollar sign parentheses, get text, space, quote, you have no files in trash, dot quote, close parentheses, and then I'm going to do a semicolon echo, because there's no new line character. After, the, get, the get text doesn't put the, the new line character in there, so for me, so I'm, I'm going to add an extra echo at the end of that initial echo, uh, just to make sure that I, I get my prompt cleanly on a new line. Okay, so the the thing is here, the, the point is that you'll go through your script, and you'll find all your echo statements, or printf statements, or whatever you're using, you'll find those, and instead of echoing the string in your native language that you've written, or, or, or whatever language you're using, uh, instead of just echoing that, you're going to echo the results of get text, you have no files in trash. Okay, I'm just going to do that to that one string, just to keep this simple. But in real life, I would go through my code, refactor it such that all echoes don't echo raw text. They echo the results of get text, some text, and that's it. Get text, of course, that, that command, get text, that's a function in the get text.sh script in, in user bin that, um, that, uh, that, that we imported into, into the script. Okay. So now you've got all of your, now you've got your script set up for the ability to have its strings abstracted away like it's natural language strings abstracted away from from the the code itself so i'm going to actually i think we are going to use yeah we're going to use now a um a command that will do that for us and this is from the this is from the package that we're supposed to be talking about right now so that works out really nicely this is the second no, it is the last command. It's the uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18th command, um, yeah, command in the package, in the get text tools package. So this is the first time we're actually using the, this tools package. Get text.sh came along with get text, so we weren't using the tools then. But now we're using one of the tools provided from the get text-tools and that is called x get text x having nothing to do with x11 xorg whatever it's um i i assume it's sort of a fancy way of saying extract i think that's probably what it's a reference to so it's x get text in this case i'm going to do dash dash language shell because that's the language i'm doing and then i think i better look up the the man page hold on i think it's dash dash output it is dash dash output, I'm going to do trashy dot dot pot. So pot is the portable, portable translation or something like that. I think it's portable, portable, oh, portable object template is what it is. Sorry, not, not, nothing having to do with translation. It's portable object tra temp template. And then the input file that I want this x get text thing to look at, um, make sure it's close, it's saved and closed. It is, is bin slash trashy. Okay, so it's done. So now if I look in trashy.pot, which does exist, I get uh, what looks like a bunch of garbage, to be honest. 
Um, there's a bunch of stuff that it did not detect. So it says, the first line is some descriptive title. It's not very useful, so I'm going to put tra trashy translation, translation template. Copyright. Year the package is copyright holder. Yeah, so it, it, it didn't, I don't know why it doesn't pick up this stuff. I've got auto tools um, in the project. Everything, to me, feels like it should be available. Um, especially, like, first author email address year. Like, I know I've got the author's name in, in configure.ac. But anyway, it's, it, it isn't, and it's not there, and that's fine. So, um, eventually you get down to line 20 of this thing, and it's um, been trashy line 43. It, it specifies that in a little comment here. And then it says, message ID, quote, you have no files in trash, dot quote, and then message string, quote, quote. So, what it has done is it has extracted the one thing that I've prepped for git text, and that's line 43. It's extracted the part of that line that git text was meant to analyze, and it is it, uh, it has put it into this dot pot file. And were I going to engage in a full translation of my little utility, I would, of course, first I would prep the trashy script with a bunch of git text statements instead of echo statements, or echo git text statements, really, instead of just echo statements. And then I would extract them all, dump them into a .pot uh, template, and then from that .pot, I could create separate translations of each message ID in some other language. And of course, ideally, I could then post that onto some magical social coding website, and people would flock to my repository to contribute their translations. That's what would happen, ideally. I'll just say that. Um, and that's, that's Git Text's workflow, at least for a bash script. It is not all that different for a C project or a C++ project, um, git text. That's, that's sort of how it works. Now there's a bunch of, like, other stuff that you can do. You can, um, you can, uh, merge files with, with partial translations. You can, um, manipulate different message IDs and, and look at different message IDs and stuff like that. And that is what these git text tools are are meant to assist with. So let's let's take a look at some of those. I'm not gonna need that trashy anymore. Let's go into hello maybe. Okay, so here's the GNU hello uh, project, and it looks like there's already a PO structure in here, which is actually that's kind of nice. Uh, and in fact, if you look in GNU hello, you'll see exactly the, like the, the correct output, like, or the, 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 a template properly filled out. So, um, I just happened to, well, actually, you know what? I'm going to do a different one because Gaelic, I cannot even pretend to pronounce. So let's do this. Okay, here we go. So here's the French one maintained by David Prevot, uh, or, oh, I'm sorry, Michel Robetet, I don't know how to say that. Um, Hello, and then it says, um, message ID, hello world. Message string, bonjour le monde. Message ID, hello world, bonjour le monde. That's another one. Uh, line 103, um, extra operand, uh, percent S backslash N. Message string, apparatur, 
supplementaire percent s backslash n, and so on. So you get to see the, the translation exactly as it would occur in a, a translation file. Um, and, and those are all in the PO, the PO folder. So that's a, that's a great thing to sort of to, to look at, probably. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens here, because the first tool that we're going to look at is AutoPoint. A-U-T-O, AutoPoint, P-O-I-N-T. And let's see what it says it does. It says it copies the standard Git text infrastructure into a source package. So if I, I don't, I feel like it's going to fail right now because there's already the infrastructure, but I'm going to do it anyway. Auto point. It says, um, file build aux config.rpath has been locally modified. Yeah, so it's detecting that things, um, that, that things already exist. So I'm going to do a dash dash force just to make it, make it happen. And what it does, it's, it's copying files in uh, for configuration help, for M4 scripts, uh, or macros rather. We, we've, we've encountered the M4 macro system back when we were talking about auto tools and autoconf and auto reconf and auto make and stuff like that. And then a couple of PO files, including a makevars.template. And makevars.template is a pretty important file that I think we're going to actually touch on momentarily, possibly right now if there's nothing else to say about auto point i don't really feel like there is um yeah that it, it is kind of what it is um it it copies important git text support files into a source package i happen to know that it fails if there's not a proper auto tools infrastructure already so for instance if you're missing a configure.ac that that it, it won't it won't know what to do or or it will refuse to do what it what it would normally do i don't know if that's a, a thing that it requires or if it's just a thing that it's doing for your own safety very similar to this is a tool called git textize g-e-t-t-e-x-t-i-z-e git textize and that um well, it, it sets up the infrastructure and gives you some prompts as to what to do next. Let's see what it claims to do. Um, according to its info page, it says that it's a program, it's an interactive tool. That's a little bit misleading. It's an interactive tool that helps the maintainer of a package internationalize through GNU Git text. It is used for two purposes, as a wizard when a package is modified to use git text for the first time, and as a migration tool for when you're upgrading. I don't know that I I accept this as a wizard, really. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure about whether I would call it a wizard myself at all, but maybe I'm just not using it right. Now it's got me curious, seeing that it claims to be a, a wizard. No, I, I, I'm gonna say that this isn't a wizard. Because right here in 13.4.5, configure AC, configure AC or configure.in, this is the source from which autoconf generates the configure script. Declare the package and version. This is done by a set of lines like these. Package equals get text, version equals blah. AC define unquoted package package. AC define unquoted version version. AC subst packet AC subst version. Or if you're using automake am underscore init, automake get text, and then version. So, of course, Git text would be your, you know, trashy in this in this example, I guess, um, or hello, whatever we're in. Um, yeah, I, I'm just not, there's a lot of manual stuff that you actually have to do, but maybe 
I don't know, maybe if I knew something that they're not telling me, or that I'm not being patient enough to get to, there would be some magical automation that I, I've never seen before. Anyway, I'm going to run git textize right now, and it says, you can't do that, uh, infrastructure already exists. But you can use dash F to force it. So we'll do that. Um, so at first it's, it feels and sounds and sort of acts pretty much like AutoPoint. It copies a file called about-nls, uh, copies a file build-aux-config-rpath. It doesn't copy the intel directory. It does copy some PO-related files, some more M4 scripts. That was the part I was thinking was a little bit like uh, AutoPoint. And, yeah, it does that make vars template. And then it tells you six different steps that you have to take to sort of finish this process, more or less. Press return to acknowledge the previous paragraphs. Um, and, well, I guess it's okay. So three paragraphs here. There's there's six paragraphs if you're starting from a completely empty uh, or, or no translation um, project. But it, it tells you to please update PO make vars so that it defines all the variables mentioned in pomakevars.template. So if I didn't have makevars already in GNU Hello, it would be telling me to make a file called makevars based on makevars.template. And makevars.template is a very well-commented folder. It tells you things like, um, this is the copyright holder that gets inserted into the header of the domain.pot file, Set this, see, that's what I was looking for right there. That's the auto detection I was looking for. Um, so copyright holder equals, and then a, an example. Um, this tells the tells it to whether to prepin GNU in front of the package name. Um, this is the email address or URL to send bugs to, and, and so on. So it's got a bunch of things, and it tells you exactly like what the valid values are and what the defaults are and and generally why you would choose one over the other it's a it's a really well commented file there were a couple of things that i that i left not quite understanding when i was doing this but generally it's 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 nicely explained so that's the make vars template and then you create just a file called make vars in your po directory and then it tells you to run ac local to generate your um, your ac local m4 um, fi the, the the necessary m4 um, files uh, if 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 some of it already exists it might be something different like ac local dot dash i m4 if if you don't need the whole structure and then it'll tell you you know if if required well I think it would always I would imagine it would always be required to then run autoconf to regenerate your configure file your your yeah your configure script because now there's new stuff that that your system needs to look at. It says you also might want to copy the convenience header file gittext.h from user share gittext into your package. And there's another one sometimes you'll see to um, grab config.guess and config.sub, I think, which are files. And it gives you the URL. It's very easy. I mean, I don't mean to say it's not a wizard. I guess just when I see that it's a wizard, I, th I think it would be doing that stuff for me. Um, but yeah, it's it's very clear. It tells you pretty much exactly what to do. And then, and then you're kind of on your own. And that's kind of where it gets scary. So this is the boilerplate text. You know, this is the, the infrastructure stuff. But it doesn't step you through like what to do after you have all that stuff and that admittedly can be a little bit difficult to know what to do i mean it is it's just kind of 
tough to uh, to know where to go once that infrastructure exists. Although now you kind of do know because we've gone through the shell script version of it, and um, certainly the C version of, of all that is pretty well documented in the um, git text documentation on gnu.org slash software slash git text. Okay, let's look at the next tool called message attrib. This is a sort of a filter command for you to look at message a message catalog, as they call it, which is a PO file, and and sort of filter out what information by attribute. So for instance, if we look at message, if we do message attrib dash dash untranslated, and then point it at PO slash FR for French dot PO, then it spits out the results of the fr.po file, but instead of just catting the whole thing, I mean, the whole thing is like if I did a line count of po fr.po, so wc space dash l po slash fr.po, it's 302 lines, but message attrib spits out just 25 lines, and what it is spitting out is the header information, and then the one message ID in this thing that is, that has not been translated into French. As you can imagine, that's a very useful kind of... Uh, that, that's really useful information when there's a high likelihood that people are going to be coming to your project, to, to the PO directory of a project, in order to help translate. So being able to zero in quickly on untranslated things is quite useful. Now, there are a lot of other options. It's not just untranslated. But I think you get the idea. That's that's essentially that that's what that does. Is it 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 looks at different attributes of of message catalogs and figures out you know and filters it out for you. So it's it's quite useful, like a little database function almost. Um, message cat combines several message catalogs. Uh, I don't really have a good example of this, but I think it's relatively easy to figure out what that means. You take two PO files, maybe two people have been working on translation separately or something, you combine them together. Or, I mean, you could just use it as a, essentially a, an intelligent cat command, too. I mean, if, if that's all you wanted to do. So if I wanted to do message cat fr.po, then I do get the, the file concatenated out into my terminal with a bunch of color highlighting, and and it's kind of maybe possibly easier to read the important parts, you know, separate important parts from the less important parts and so on. Next up is message CMP. That is to compare message catalogs. I think you're getting kind of the, the feel for this package, this utility package. Compare message catalog and template. Compare two uniform style.po files to check that both contain the same set of message ID strings. That, that ought to work. Set, let's do message comp pofr.po and pogalig.po and it f has found uh, several errors actually um, line 29 of the french one needs to be reviewed by the translator uh, 45 messages untranslated 78 should be reviewed by translator 121 should be reviewed by translator and so on so really really useful stuff here um, you know, flags being raised, tasks essentially being generated. Very cool stuff, as you can see. Message com. Uh, this is finding messages which are common to two or more of the specified files. 
Now, I'll admit this has not been working for me, and I'm not exactly sure why not, or maybe I'm getting the use case confused. It sounds to me like the use case would be, I want to make sure that the messages that I believe are in both, you know, all translatable files, or all PO files, are are there. So I would think that either sort of like a, a unique, or a, yeah, a sort and a unique, I would think that, that you would see output listing either all the common things, or all the things that are not common. And what I'm getting instead are, is output from one file and not another file and no indication that there's any sort of match between the two. Uh, it, it seems to me like when I when I provide input, oops, when I provide input to this command for for two for two files, um, I, it only pays attention to one. So it it, it kind of gives a nod to that concept, but this is very confusing. So in the in the man page or the info page, it's it's the same thing. There's no dedicated info page. So I'm gonna look at the man one because that's actually color uh, color coded. So in in the man page, it says matching mat match two message catalogs. In the synopsis, it says message com option input file. Those are both singular words, not options, not input files. And then in the description, it says find messages which are common to two or more of the specified PO files, plural. Um, it says some other stuff, and then it says translations, comments, and extracted comments are preserved, but only from the first PO file to define them. File positions from all PO files will be accumulated. Mandatory arguments too long. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't matter. And then it says input file location, input file, singular, dot, dot, dot. And then it says input files, plural. So confused as to what exactly they want. But I'm pretty sure what they're trying to say is that they want two files. They want one PO file and another. And then this is going to find the common messages contained in both. There are some options here as there often are. Uh, one is dash dash no dash location, do not write hash colon file name colon line, or dash dash add location, or for short, dash in. Dash in? Shouldn't it be dash like A for add? Dash A is available, it's not being used by another option. They just decided to make add location dash in, which to me looks like a negation of something. That's weird. I would think dash in would be no location, wouldn't you? Dash dash add location would reduce to maybe a dash A, or maybe if that was taken, maybe a dash L. If that was taken, maybe a dash C, maybe? I mean, C says config to me, but, you know, whatever. I don't know, that's weird. Okay, so anyway, here's what we got. So I can do a message com, and then we'll just leave out all options, and we'll do PO slash GA dot PO space PO slash HE dot PO. And I get stuff back that looks very Gaelic to me. Yeah, the whole thing looks like it's from the Gaelic file to me. I'm not seeing anything that doesn't look Gaelic to me. No, I'm pretty sure that's all. That's all from one file. And it did say that it would only be kept from the first file to define them. So I guess what they're maybe telling me is that these two 
files are exactly the same. And so I'm seeing the output of the first one. That seems like a really weird way to tell me that. Um, but if I do indeed swap the positions of Gaelic with Hebrew, in this case he.po, then all the output is Hebrew. Very, very discernibly Hebrew. I think that's Hebrew. It's, it's some language that does not use um, the alphabet that I'm familiar with. So I could do the same thing with fr, and those are all French. So I don't know, maybe it's just telling me, I guess the the test here would be to go in and find a string. Nothing happens here. Okay, I'm going to delete that. So now that PO file does not contain a message, and I see no mention that of of that but maybe the the thing that they're telling us is that there that this is a common thing like these are the common strings that seems odd to me because um to me i would think that the workflow would have been well i need to find out what's missing but there must be a workflow where this information is very useful because otherwise um i don't i, I don't see the use so there must be a use for this i mean someone someone didn't develop this program because it spits out useless information obviously so maybe i maybe it is working is is the short story it's just i don't know it's it feels a little bit strange no I, it's all coming together now so now okay so you want to confirm that all the messages you think should be in a file are in a fi in, in both files so you put the your native tongue first on the command in the command syntax, and that way you're seeing so something that you recognize, and I guess by the fact that it is there, you are getting confirmation that yes, it was found in the other file. And if one is missing, then you know, hey, there's one missing. But I guess you have just have to, I, that's, that's the weird part for me, because how do you remember what all of the things are? But maybe there's something else for that, maybe there's some other tool for that, like the message compare. Okay. Message conv is next, and it is a character set conversion for a message catalog. I've never had to use this. This seems to be done automatically by most of the Git text tools that I've encountered so far, but the principle is pretty pretty much the same as anything like iConv or any... What was that other one that we just talked about, I think, in the Java program or something? I think it was GCC-Java. There was something for conversion. So that's that's what that is. That's message conv. Not not a big deal. Uh, message uh, message en creates an English translation catalog. The input file is the last created English PO file or a PO template file, which is important, right? Because that's what we did with x x get text, and then it creates the English dot uh, PO file. So I'm gonna push d back to trashy really quick and i'm gonna do message en trashy.pot and it well actually that's not very useful what it just did let's find out what the i, I thought for sure that because the um oh no it says okay output you need to define the output um yeah i i thought it would do that automatically but apparently not so dash dash output and then we could do trashy.po and then we look at trashy PO, and sure enough, there's my little fledgling PO file. Not a whole lot to look at right now, but but that would be the EN version. I guess that I wouldn't call it trashy PO. I would call it EN.PO, and then I would have EN.PO, and I could use it to, you know, people could use it to generate different um, different PO files for their language. All right, let's look at message 
exec. This is a process translation of message catalog. It applies a command to all translations of a translation catalog. The command can be any program that reads a translation from standard input. It's involved, it is invoked, rather, once for each translation. Its output becomes message exec's output. So this is a uh, sort of a tunnel application so that if you need to execute some command on all of your PO files, this would be the thing to do it with. I could I could imagine maybe said being a candidate for that. Uh, similar to this command is message filter. Message filter allows you to invoke um, a, a filter script or a filter, well I guess it would probably be a script, um, and then it would it, it executes that that script or that command across all of the messages. So for instance, the the syntax is message filter, whatever options, and then the filter, and then any filter options as required. And the the filter can be any program that reads a translation from standard in and writes a modified translation to standard out. And of course you can specify your output locations if you if you don't want it to just be written back out to standard out itself, but that's um, what that does. So for instance, if you had some other message tool that you wanted to, to run against a bunch of files, you could use message filter and then place that place that command as your filter and it would then process it on, on each message. Message format is a little application that compiles, sort of, your PO file into a binary format. I think that's basically all it does, message format. Yeah, compiles message catalog to binary format. And again, message catalog, that's a .po file. It understands a couple of different couple of different um, formats. That's kind of cool. And um, yeah, it has some options to override, but it's pretty easy to, to demonstrate, if not necessarily um, intuitive. Well, I guess it's kind of intuitive. Anyway, what you do is you do msgfmt and then point it at a PO file. So I'll point it at the Gaelic uh, PO file, message format ga.po, do an ls, and it looks like it has dumped all of that information into a messages.mo file. And if I do a file on messages.mo, it says that it is a GNU message catalog, little Indian, revision 0.0, 12 messages, project ID version, hello 2.3, dash h, dash dash help, and then uh, some stuff in Gaelic. So that's kind of cool. It, it, it has quite a lot of knowledge about itself, and it is a binary file, so that can be probably utilized pretty quickly by the system compared to a big sort of plain text file. The uh, Gaelic PO file is 7.5k, and the messages.mo is a mere 1.4k. So quite, quite a difference in, in size there. Um, I mean, it's only kilobytes, so they're small, but still, you know, it, it adds up. Okay, next command, you can almost guess what it does. It's called message grep, and it, sure enough, if you look at the, the info page, uh, message grep pattern matching on message catalog. Well, this is an unfortunate name in my opinion. I, I feel like it's a little bit misleading, but, I mean, it is sort of accurate anyway, but... The, the name makes me think that all I'd have to do is type in message grep and then the string that I'm searching for, so I'm going to just type in files, and then the file that I want to search, which is trashy.pot, and it says message grep at most one input file 
is, is allowed. Okay, well, that's surprising. So let's go back into the man page and see what, what I'm doing wrong. Message grab option input file. Okay, well, so it, you keep reading and eventually you'll get to the point where it says there's a message selection syntax. And there are a couple of different options here. There's dash capital N for your source file, dash capital M for your domain name, dash capital J for your message C text pattern, dash capital K for message ID pattern. Message ID pattern sounds good. So, and it says dash K for message ID pattern. So presumably that's what we would want to use. Um, it says message ID dash pattern or message string pattern or comment pattern or extracted comment pattern syntax is dash E or dash F. I don't see where that is decoded for me, but apparently dash E, oh, regular expression, oh, extended regular expressions if dash E is given or fixed string if dash F is given. Okay, there we go. That's what we needed. Message grab, uh, dash capital K for the message ID, right? Um, and then files, I guess. And then dash capital F, I think is what it said for fixed string. This is not super intuitive. Trashy.pot. At most one input file is allowed. Okay. Um, it maybe wants, so what it wants maybe is message grep dash capital K dash capital F and then the word files. Trashy.pot. At the most one input file is allowed. Okay. Dash capital K dash capital F. How about files in single quotes? At most one input file is allowed. So this is not working out for me as written, uh, and I'm not 100% sure why. So let's um, let's try it as an extended regex instead. So that's capital E. At most one input file is allowed. Man message grep again. Um, it does say that for uh, message ID pattern, the syntax is dash capital E pipe dash capital F close bracket and then bracket dash E lowercase pattern or dash F file. Okay, so maybe what it's telling me is that I'm supposed to use the capital, the lowercase E unless it is extended, in which case I use the lowercase, the capital E. So now I'm going to do message grep dash capital K dash lowercase E quote files close quote trashy pot. Message grep present car set car set is not a portable encoding name. All right. So I guess there's something in this .pot file that isn't set correctly. Content type is car set. I'm assuming that I need to set that to UTF-8. Thanks for nothing, get textize. Message grep dash K dash E files trashy pot. There we go, finally it has worked. It spits out the header and then it spits out the matching message on line from line 43, which is you have no files in trash. That was horribly documented. I just wanted, I, I, I wanted to go through the steps that it takes to decode the way that that is expressed in the man page. You read that man page, message grep, and you tell me that you could have gotten that on the first try. Well, anyway, time is fleeting, and we have a couple of more tools to go, so we can't dwell on that. Message init, M-S-G-I-N-I-T. This um, initializes a message catalog, so that creates a new PO file, initializing the meta information with values from the user's environment. So this is the tool that I would have thought that 
um, that I would have gotten from Get Textize because this is an interesting one. You go to a, a, a tool that has um, a, 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 um, a directory of code uh, that's got the auto make or the auto tools infrastructure set up, message in it, and um, it takes you through the steps of setting up a reasonable file. So uh, the first thing it says is that it, your message should contain an email address, and and then it um, presents you with email addresses that it knows you use. Um, I, I believe it took that from GNU PG because that's where those email addresses to me look familiar, um, but it could be from somewhere else. I'm not sure. Um, and then it runs essentially get textize. It it still doesn't fill in like quite as much as I would have thought, but but it it does it has some stuff in there like um, it's got my email address, it's got my first name, it's got uh, the date for the creation, pot creation date, PO creation date, things like that, the language team, like the default language set, the character set, so you're not going to run into car set errors and so on. So that's a that's a useful one. I don't know why message init exists, or rather, I don't know why get textize exists if message init exists, unless, of course, message init calls get textize, which is quite possible. But I, I don't think I would have left <laughs> get textize sort of as its own thing, to be honest. I just, uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess I guess you kind of have to. That's the, It's there. Um, maybe in the man page of GetTextize, I would say, this tool is intended to be run through message init, something like that. All right, next one is message merge. It merges message catalogs. It's, you know, it's sort of in that same vein of compare and common and so on, but this just, and concatenate. This purely merges two message catalogs. Not a whole lot to say about that, I don't think. Message unformat. Well, we know what message format does, and if you're guessing that unformat does the opposite, that's correct. It decompiles messages that were in the binary format back out into PO files. And that's, you know, you would just execute that on messages.mo, and then you would get the PO files out of them. It's pretty cool. Message unique. It's kind of the inverse of message... Um, I guess message common, it it uh, unifies duplicated translation tra- translations in in a PO f- in, in a message catalog. So you can run uh, message unique against again it, it expresses things singularly even though it actually means plural. But you can use it to find messages that exist only in one message in one message catalog. Yeah. Um, okay, and finally. The, the penultimate command in this in this package is recode-sr-latin, and that converts Serbian text from Cyrillic to Latin script. It, it's magic to me. I don't I don't understand how that works. Uh, it's it's absolute magic. I don't have anything to test that against, but it, it says it, it. The man page is like you know maybe 25 lines at the most. It's it's a really it's it's straight and to the point. It is going to convert the Serbian Serbian text from the Cyrillic alphabet to the Latin alphabet, and that that is what. Well, it says Cyrillic to Latin script. I guess that means just alphabet, right? Yeah, that would be the alphabet. I think is the alphabet the same as a character set? Not not necessarily, I guess. Anyway, that's what it does. It it converts from Serbian to Latin scripts. Pretty cool. And then the the final uh, command you'll 
be happy to know we've already covered. It is x git text, and that's the thing that extracted. Actually, I guess we could look at the man page real quick. Uh, x git text extracts git text strings from source, and that is what it does. That's its job. It is going to take messages that are being piped through the git text infrastructure, put them into a message catalog file so that you, or a template rather, so that you and your translators can generate translation files uh, from those. We've seen it in action. We've, we've seen how it works. It works well. That's it. That's all. That's everything. Um, I haven't gone through, you know, I've gone through this these tools, experimenting around with them as I work on translating Trashy, but... I haven't actually, I haven't finished that process, you know, in the week that I've had to mess around with this stuff. Um, so I haven't sort of gotten through a successful compile session with all of this. So I, I haven't actually seen the, I haven't generated a working example of all of this. That can be a good topic for the future. Once it's finished, I'll have to come back to it and sort of demonstrate how it actually all works. I did try to do like sort of a really quick partial translation and then compile it, but something was up with my PO uh, directory, I think, because it couldn't find, uh, I think, a make file or something within the PO directory, which didn't make a whole lot of sense to me because I didn't create the PO directory in the first place. I had get textize do that for me. Uh, so I'm, I'm not really sure what what was sort of missing from the infrastructure, but it, it seemed to be missing something. And it was not, it was non-trivial to, to figure out what was wrong. And so I, I figured it would be better to abandon my partial translation and just do the translation, get that done, and then worry about how to bring it all back around into a compilable or, you know, like a, a redistributable uh, translated actual script that, that people could run. And it being, again, a shell script that I'm doing this on is giving me, it, it's causing a couple of interesting problems that that most users don't seem to be, it's, it's not exactly the, the most common purpose for this tool, as far as I can tell. It really seems to be, people kind of expect you to be actually literally compiling code, and and, and that's just not what I'm doing. So, a little bit, little bit different, a little bit unique. Um, just trying to do more research on getting that to work. And like I say, future episode, maybe I'll, I'll get that done. But that's everything. That's the Git text tools package from Slackware. Now you know every single executable binary in the package. And who knows, maybe you'll use it sometime. Maybe not, but now you know it exists. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. My name's Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not klaatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted until next time thanks for listening and keep the source open
Tilly, I hope you get this message. Your answering machine sounds weird. There's, I, I can't even understand what's said. So um, I hope you, you get this. This is Katie. Just give me a call. I think I've got a solution. <laughs> 